Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. On each episode, Lornette and I discuss and question conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at QCulture. That's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference on each episode. And today we have a special episode planned. Um, We've kind of made it. uh, It's become a tradition on the podcast to kind of just do a fun episode at the end of the year. Um, And due to some travel plans, this will be our last uh, episode of the year. Um, So we are going to take a break from questioning the system and kind of have a fun episode where we discuss some revolutionary lyrics that had a big impact on us. So I'm excited about it. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, what's going on, Brian? Uh, Shout out to our listeners for 2023. As the year comes to an end, we appreciate all the support um, and the folks who who continue to listen and have us as their favorite podcast. Um, uh, shout out uh, please share it far and wide uh, we talk about some good stuff and if you want to piss off you know some of your more conservative minded friends and relatives um, <laughs> you can share us with them and we can do all the talking and you don't have to say anything uh, so so let us let us take your let us take your hate <laughs> we could take it and, and maybe we might even change some of their minds with our podcast they might like our voices you know like, you know what those young guys got something to say even though I'm not a young guy. <laughs> but if you're like, say it's, it's nice your old to dream. uncle. It's nice to dream. Even if it's like your old uncle who's like 75. Like, that. all right, I'm no longer conservative. I'm a goddamn card-carrying commie. <laughs> Viva la revolution. But anyway, uh, thank you. So once again, Lord Vestal, he, him, bad motherfucker, for all the folks who hate the pronouns. Um, check me out on Twitter, X, or whatever you want to call it nowadays, uh, Evolve Man LBV. You can also check out my uh, public Facebook page called Lornette Vestal. Um, you can also check out the Evolving Man Project, the website where I discuss um, different topics, including topics that we talked about on Question Culture, blog posts, and other contributors, and also home of the Question Culture podcast, um, which you can hear, listen on Spotify, Apple, and wherever podcasts are at. And last but not least, the Christmas time is upon us. The holiday season is upon us, whether you celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, or you don't celebrate anything at all. Um, but if you want to get someone a special gift, you can all and they let, enjoy reading and they like sci-fi and fantasy. You can check out the Fader and Faders and Alpha series, with the first book being called Eve and the Faders, second book called uh, I and the Alphas, written by myself and my lovely wife Bernita Haynes, who was a guest on our Supreme Court podcast uh, episode. So check that one out too. Um, so there, Brian. Let's get into uh, some revolutionary songs and lyrics. Uh, by some of our favorite uh, artists. Yeah, this was a, uh, I don't know, Some kind. sometimes uh, doing research and studying for the podcast can be tedious, but this one was a lot of fun. Um, and actually, it made me think about this episode really could have been <laughs> days and days long um, if I wanted to, because there's so many great artists with great lyrics. Um, so I did just want to preface the episode. Um, these are this this isn't a history of activism and music or revolutionary lyrics or anything that um, we're actually thinking we might do that as a future episode. This is more just for fun. This is lyrics um, that we like that have a revolutionary nature to them um, that had an impact on Lornette and I. Um, 
most of these artists also have, you know, several songs, if not their whole catalog that have lyrics. So these are ones that just connected with us and Lornette and I actually didn't even share our list um, with each other. So it'll kind of be a fun surprise for us, uh, the songs we chose. Um, We're going to give you a little bit of information about the song, play a short clip for you just so you can get the vibe, kind of know what the song sounds like. And then we'll kind of break down some of the lyrics that we really liked and really stuck with us about the song. Um, Hopefully we this episode doesn't get taken down. I know there's issues with playing music. This is really strictly just for evolution or evolutionary (laughs) educational purposes to discuss the lyrics of the song that we don't do any advertisement. There's no money involved in this podcast whatsoever. Um, So it's really just kind of being fanboys and uh, talking about lyrics that we like. Um, And I don't know about you, Lorna, but like, I kind of went for songs that were that I liked, but also, you know, had kind of a revolutionary hint to them. Not that I only like music, you know, with those kind of lyrics. Music is music. So I like when people talk about all different things. Um, But I I I think it's a hard needle to thread to be artistic and inventive and also still kind of have like a message in your music because it can get very kind of cheesy and corny very quick if you're just, you know, up on your platform preaching but there's no kind of like artistic integrity. Yeah, my wife has she her favorite two artists as far as rappers go because has a has a lady she's like yeah, most of the rappers I mean they're it's very disrespectful and then also they're kind of worshiping of black capitalism and the whole mythology around rags to riches that being basically especially with modern rap over the last like 20 years, 20 plus years um from its humble beginnings in the Bronx. Shout out to 50 years of hip hop in 1973 to now but the last 20 years definitely has embraced a more like um party and bullshit you know i made it like i used to i don't have a college degree and now i got all these millions i made it i came from the hood and you know it's kind of like that and also enforces that like rags to riches stories and and that you know basically if i made it from the streets and now i'm this famous rapper who have all this money and all this you know success and all these like girls and all this stuff all that type of stuff for guys you know for the for the for the little Nas X's out there and the, the Megan Thee Stallions, um, but that's it's not a reality for most people who come from like these type of working class and middle class backgrounds that some of the rappers come from. And then also, um, so she she doesn't really like most rap music, or she like she likes it, but like it could be jarring for her. But she's like sometimes I just want to listen to like party and bullshit, and I want to be preached to while I'm like at the club or something like that or dancing especially when we were younger and we went to go out and stuff like that and that's why she likes she likes Lupe but and Kendrick but she's like Kendrick preaches too much about Jesus too much in the songs too much and like <laughs> Lupe she's like he could have got mainstream more mainstream but his his music was a little bit too it gets to the point where it's preachy and I understand I, I like Lupe so this isn't critique of Lupe but it is very hard to be like an artist where that's all you kind of your music is about because sometimes people like music just to like escape, but also music is so um, primal that it could it could arise a lot of emotions in us: uh, anger, sadness, sorrow, hope, happiness, joy. Um, so it all depends on the song and the artist. So I saw a very cool quote that always sticks with me: that uh, uh, art isn't supposed to be beautiful; it's supposed to make you feel something. Um, and I think that's definitely true. And I, I really like that quote. And 
I yeah I I all the artists that we're going to talk about today I hold in very high esteem because I do think it is I think at its best most purest form art is an expression of our humanity and thus touches on you know deep primal topics that we can all relate to but it is a very hard thing to do um and you know a lot of people try to but miss the mark and then it does come off very you know preachy and and things like that so i I think it's impressive when they do and i also think it was important to call this episode revolutionary lyrics rather than political lyrics which is usually what it gets labeled as but i never really liked that term because let's say you know rage against the machine as an example they always get labeled their political band their lyrics are political well, in their lyrics, they never talk about like, oh, this primary where the Democrat was, blah, blah. you know, it's not a de- it's not a political, it's it's social, it's awareness. You know, it's it's to me, it's trying to, you know, to to analyze the system and then reject it in some kind of way. Yeah. Um. So it kind of sucks when things get labeled as political. But even though I know, you know, you know what someone's saying when they when they when they say that. Um. But yeah, hopefully this episode won't get taken down. So <laughs> let's get into it. Um, I don't know if, so we kind of, you know, we came up with our own list, but before, when we first came up with this idea for this episode, we both knew we were probably going to do something from Rage Against the Machine, um, and Immortal <laughs> Technique, because they're kind of, you know, if you had revolutionary lyrics, Mount Rushmore, I think both of them would be on there. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so, uh, which one do you want to start with Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. We got, I got Rage Against, which, do you want to go first or me? Um, you can okay. So, what song did you pick for them? <laughs> I hope we didn't pick the same one, because <laughs> there's a lot of Rage Against Machine songs that I could have picked. But I mean, I think the most the most revolutionary one um, is out their first track, "Wake Up." Okay, nice. No, I did pick a different one. Okay, awesome, awesome. So do you, so just some information about the. I mean, I'm assuming it's Rage Against the Machine. So lyrics are by Zach De La Roca Rocha. What do you say? You say I say Zach Zach De La Rocha, but De I mean, La Rocha, it might be yeah. Um, and that's off their self-titled album, I think, right? Their very first yeah, the, one. The very first one that dropped in, I believe, 1992. And it was just the album was just called Rage Against the Machine. And the song is Wake Up. And it's famously played at the end of um, the first Matrix movie, which um, I think Tom Morello, the guitarist from the uh, Rage Against the Machine, you know, he's like one of the few musicians I like follow on uh, Instagram. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, he's, he seems like a cool dude despite all his fame and fortune. Um, he's still like, I've I seen him perform live at a teacher's, uh, not a, a nurse's um, protest strike um, at the Daily Center in Chicago back in 2012. I was like on lunch breaks and I like saw a rally. So oh, being, that's awesome. Me being the, me being curious like I am and like, oh, when I see a, a group of folks protesting, I'm like, what's this about? You know, as long as it wasn't like some crazy, like, Make America. Well, that was the Green Party years. So it wasn't a Green Party thing. And then Tom Morello was there and he was like performing a song. And I had to go back to work, unfortunately. But I did sit out there and see him perform live for free. But it's cool that someone can support things like that. But uh, it's out there, first album, Raging Against the Machine. I saw um, Tom Morello. So such a good live performer. Um, I saw him perform with St- uh, Street Sweeper Social Club, which was his band with Boots Riley. They opened up for Nine Inch Nails one time. Um, fucking awesome killed killed it um and then i was lucky enough i always you know because when they were coming up i was still pretty young um so i wasn't going to concerts by myself or anything like that yet but i was lucky enough i think it was in either 21 or 22 um they started their tour and i actually went to the first show of the tour before um zach 
I think he like broke his leg really bad or something at a show in Chicago. I saw him in Wisconsin. Oh, you saw um, Rage? Yeah. And, oh, oh, dude, fuck, man. It, it fuck was amazing. <laughs> They're so good live. And oh, it's so... Me. It, it, it Rage Against the Machine is kind of the exception to the rule where when I think you have when your entire discography is like mostly revolutionary lyrics, just because we live in such a dumbed down culture, I think you kind of have a limit of how popular you can get. But Rage Against the Machine has kind of surpassed that and always sells out arenas. And I think it's a testament to Tom Morello's guitar riffs. Like his riffs are just so fucking good and catchy that even people who despise their political message still get into the band. And you see that all the time. You know, every so often on Twitter it'll explode where there'll be like some dumb conservative who never listened, you know, who listens to the lyrics for the first time. And it's like, oh, what happened to Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> and it's like, what? It's kind of it's like the people who like every every now and then Twitter blows up um, back when it was good, but still even today with the Elon being at the helm. Um where like Star Trek was never political. Like the the creator was like, my whole idea was creating a futuristic utopia, where like we travel the galaxy and like explore worlds and stuff like that. And we've solved all our problems on Earth. No more racism, homophobia, and like poverty is non-existence because we have machines that can create anything people need. It's like, oh wow. <laughs> I mean, I think humans should be living like that, um, like using our resources to explore the galaxy instead of like. Uh, creating lithium mines in the Congo or bombing the shit out of poor people in um, Gaza. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, amazing, absolutely amazing music to go with the cool lyrics. So, all right, we'll play a clip of uh, Wake Up and then talk about the lyrics. All right, so uh, what lyrics in the song uh, really connected with you? Why'd you pick that one? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the song is just fucking awesome. I mean, obviously, when I saw The Matrix in 1999, um, it was to be, I, I hate to say this, but it was kind of my first, I heard a Rage Against the Machine, but it was the first time like, I like, you know, listened to the song and was like, oh, man, this fucking song sounds awesome. Even though it came out in 92, I was like nine years old or something like that, so I wasn't. <laughs> politically conscious at nine years old like the most important thing at that time was like ninja turtles and like mortal Kombat and like street fighter so those are that was my life at the time and like you know going going to school um but 1999 i was in high school and a little older so i could understand the lyrics and understand why they chose that for the um for the matrix and it, it, it made perfect sense and even tom morello as i said earlier said that the matrix um use of uh wake up was the the most perfect time that they that use their songs in a commercial uh, sense. Um, so I like the second verse by Zach De La Roche. And um, I'll just kind of, the end of the second verse, um, you better beware the retribution with my war, 2020 visions and murals of metaphors, networks that work, keeping people calm. You know, they murdered X and they try to blame it on Islam. He turned the power to the have nots and then came the shot. So, and what I love about this song, because the other verse is talking about Dr. King, and then it's talking about, you know, Malcolm X. And basically this song is talking about Crone Tail Pro and the rise of Crone Tail Pro under uh, J. Edgar Hoover 
who was the FBI director in the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s under um, Lyndon B. Johnson and Nixon. So when people are like, the parties are so different, the Democrats are Republicans. Fucking the, the horrible J. Edgar Hoover worked for Republicans and Democrats as FBI director, and he was like a terrible human being. Um, um, and probably a homophobe, despite being a cross-dresser. So <laughs> welcome to the 60s, America. Um, and this song is basically about like, how the whole COINTELPRO was to stop the rise of any type of black revolutionary figure in the 60s and 70s and neutralize them, either like make them sell out, um, discredit them, or just flat out murder them. And that's what they did with Dr. King and Malcolm X. So when I have discussions with the more conservative black people I know in real life or on Twitter, and, you know, they talk about, you know, um, these, these politics in the black community, Brian, uh, there's this whole politics. Um, um, God damn it. I'm totally forgetting it. Um, not identity politics, but uh, um, this idea that you, if you ever as a black person, if you present yourself a certain way and it's very bourgeoisie type of mentality, like if you present yourself well and you speak well and, and you try to be as proper as possible as a black person, uh, then you can't be stereotyped and then you won't have to face you know, racism or retribution. And I really, I, I totally blanking on the word for that. But anyway, um, you, you couldn't get more um, safe and kind of uh, professional and kind of presentable as Malcolm X or Dr. King, whether you agree with the politics or not. Dr. King was a genius. He, he graduated from with his PhD at 16 years old. And he was a smart dude um, and was a preacher. Like he had a very so-called respectable profession. Lived in always a, dressed in a suit. Always dressed in a suit, had a wife and kids. Um, spoke very well, very eloquently. One of probably one of America's greatest orators. And the only thing he said was like, "Hey, maybe we should feed. We should end war and feed the poor." And that was so controversy. They shot him in Memphis because he's organizing with sanitation workers. And and I know nowadays, you know, like my boy Con- Cornell West, who was Forbes, um, hit did a hit piece on him. <laughs> oh, you read that article, <laughs> but just read it too. Uh, we'll share it. Uh, they did a hit piece on him. But anyway, he talks about Dr. King and the Santa Clausification of Dr. King and how they made him this rosy Santa Claus. He just wanted everybody to live together. It was the reason why he got shot and Dr. King didn't live to see his 40th birthday because he was challenging the, the military industrial complex. And I guess you can't do that. And with Malcolm X, the same thing. He was instilling black pride and black, black liberation theology and black uh, radicalism into the masses of black people, especially working class um, black black people in urban areas, some of the most blighted communities, still in the, to this day um, in cities that have been gentrified. Um, and then they were like, well, it was the Nation of Islam that did it. But even Malcolm X, through his own words, if you read his works and stuff like that and books about him, he talked about the capabilities of the Nation of Islam because he was heavy, a leader in the Nation of Islam. He knew their capabilities and he's like, what they were doing at the time, wiretapping all that stuff, it was beyond their capabilities. So obviously these folks were in cahoots who assassinated him with the FBI under Crowenter Pro. And one time in Mecca, when he was on his uh, um, pilgrimage, he's, he, he said these two white guys were following around uh, Saudi Arabia the whole time and even said hello to him because he knew they were agents watching him. Because <laughs> Malcolm X was that, that type of G. So um, he gave the power to the have-nots. He, he wasn't Malcolm X wasn't in it for himself. Dr. King wasn't in it for himself. It wasn't like they're trying to make a name and make a whole lot of money. These are true revolutionaries. Like They were in it for the, the people. I mean, 
Dr. King could have had a very successful career as a, as a big city preacher in Atlanta and lived a full life and been an old man and like ripped off his congregation and all that stuff like the modern day mega church preachers. He could have been like that, but he, he chose to like be true to his word and his faith and and try to live for the people by the people. Same thing about Malcolm X. So that I think that makes this song even more powerful. And it's just a kick-ass song. So shout out to Rage Against the Machine. Despite how cliche we are to mention Rage. <laughs> I mean, I, we can't do an episode on revolutionary lyrics and not mention them. Um, for me, I picked the song uh, Sleep Now in the Fire off their album, The Battle of Los Angeles. Um, so we'll play a clip of that real quick. For it's the end of history It's caged and fortunate still There is no other pill to take So swallow the one that made you ill All right, um, so I pretty much love the lyri- <laughs> all the lyrics in this song, um, even from the very beginning. So I like he starts, the world is my expense, the cost of my desire. Jesus blessed me with this, its fu- his future, and I protect it with fire. And I think that, and he does that throughout the song. He does it in another line where he says, I am the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, <laughs> the Noose and the Rapist, the Fields Overseer, the Agents of Orange, the Priests of Hiroshima, Shima, the Cost of My Desire. And I think that what that does is that connects how the lavish lifestyle of the ultra wealthy, their desires, their their unrelenting desire for money and power and control is what leads to all the most horrific things that the poor of the world experience. So I like how he draws that connection. Um, I also love the line, so raise your fist and march around, just don't take what you need. I'll jail and bury those committed and smother the rest in greed. To me, that perfectly sums up what I've experienced in activism as far as it seems like the system now is very good. You know, okay, sure, go have your little protest. We'll just have the police corral you and get you off the tear gas, you off the streets eventually, and business will go on as usual. So raise your fists and march around. Just don't take what you need. Don't actually, you know, take control of the levels of power. And then I'll jail and bury those committed and smother the rest in greed. And that's exactly true, because like you just mentioned, you you know, you got the Martin Luther Kings, the MLKs, the Fred Hamptons of the world who get killed. Black Panther members, get, you know, get thrown in jail. So if you're really committed, you're going to get a bullet or you're going to go to jail. And then everyone else will just smother you with enough greed just to keep you pacified so you don't fight the system in any way. Um, and then I love the line, uh, for it's the end of history, it's caged and froze, frozen still. There is no other pill to take, so swallow the one that makes you ill. And I think that applies to so much in society. I think about it all the time when I'm driving home late at night and I'm hungry and fast food places are the only thing that's open. It's like there is no other pill to take, so swallow the one that makes you ill. There is no other fucking, you know, actually healthy food that yeah. can sustain you, so eat this fucking trash. And, you know, it's not just with food, it's with every, you know, thing in in capitalist society that's like that. So that lyric always stuck with me. And then now, and then, you know, just the title of the song, Sleep Now in the Fire. Um, 
I don't know how you you interpret it, but I kind of interpret it as, you know, that's the powerful being. You know, they create all these horrific conditions for people because of their desire. But now, you know, they just expect us just deal with it. Just fucking sleep in the fire, you know, you, you know, deal with it, basically, is how I kind of, you know, interpret that lyric. And I think that's a, you know, I think that's exactly what the powers that be think of us, you know, if they think of us at all. Well, no, I, I think that you actually hit the nail on the head. I, I feel that same way. Um, about kind of just yeah. If you if there are revolutionary spirit, they they stamp it out. And I, I think uh, most recently, uh, revolutionary fever, at least stateside, uh, sprung up was in 2020 with the um, Black Lives Matter protests, and it was the height of COVID. Black Lives Matter protests. Um, lots of people had to had to work at home or stay shelter in place uh, for the cities and states that did that. So you had millions of people. Who watched, you know, this a snuff film basically of Derek Chauvin, who got shanked twenty <laughs> something times in prison recently. Um, I, you know, I mean, you know, you, you you commit evil in the world, and and sometimes karma comes back to you. So that's all I'm gonna say. I'm not saying that I would done it or anything like that. I'm not advocating violence, but you know, this, this man did, you know, kill a kill another man, and he was in jail for that. And I guess some people wanted retribution. Um, I didn't lose any sleep about it. Let's put it that yeah, way. Exactly. So I'm like that. I like it's like Chris Rock. I said I would do it, but I understand. Um, yeah. So it, it created a very revolutionary moment. I mean, here in Atlanta, the people like this is not a political city. Like people party and bullshit. This is talk about the. This is like the. You know, it became the unofficial capital of hip hop um, in, in the 2010s and 2000 in the early 2000s. With Lil John. And, and to for, on forward, like the Atlanta sound is kind of what is hip hop now, uh, even if the people aren't from Atlanta. Um, but that 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 summer, it was crazy. It was it was kind of like some fall of Rome shit. One part of the city was burning from protests, and another part people were just partying because all the clubs and stuff were shut down because of COVID. So they just like turned like parking lots and shit to parties and clubs. And some people would go to the protests and then go to, go kick it in the parking lots after. So it was it was crazy times. And one of the most powerful images. Um, in 2020 from Atlanta was um, them storming the CNN building downtown and you had a, a white guy on the top of the CNN letters and then you had a black guy in the middle and then you had a, a Mexican dude and like they were holding a Black Lives Matter flag and the Mexican flag and it was like this black, brown, and white unity coming together of young people and, and the guy who led the charge, I mean, they put through so many charges on them. They, they've been hounding them. Um, the fucking cops here are fucking you know, they're, they're, they're a beast. All you got to do is listen to our Cop City episode. So, you're absolutely right. All right. So, on to the next one. Um, so, definitely somebody we would both have on our top five list for revolutionary lyrics would be Immortal Technique. I know we've probably mentioned him, his lyrics on the podcast so much already. Um, so, it's only fitting that we could do a song. Um, we might have picked the same song for this one. What did you choose? Um, I don't know if you... He has so many fucking amazing songs. But I think one song that always stuck out to me in his catalog is not one of his most aggressive songs or anything like that. Um, I think it's one of his deepest songs. And it's the uh, song that came out in 2001. It was a bonus track on Revolutionary Value 1. And it was also on the uh, soundtrack of the movie um, um, Badass, which is a, 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 a remake of a black exploitation film, Sweet uh, Badass is the Revenge. Um, starring that was that movie was directed by um, Melvin Van Peebles, Peebles and his son Mario Van Peebles uh, revamped that character 
in the uh, early 2000s. Um, and this movie song is called Cotton the Hustle, um, which is, I just think, one of his most amazing, most beautiful songs. All right. No, I didn't pick that one. So, all right, I'm, I'm interested what you have to say about it. So uh, let's listen to the clip. They say the odds against me are crooked and impossible Like I was born with a hole in my heart It's an obstacle I left to die by the doctors in the children's hospital But I never lose hope Success is psychological The world is volatile and the street is my education Shaping the nation like the blueprint of a mason While Shawshank record deals get you raped on occasion So I'm focused on my economic situation I'm like the little kids on TV that dig through the trash I hustle regardless of the way you talk shit and laugh A lot of niggas drop science But they don't know the math Cause they might is narrower than the righteous path it's funny how on the block niggas that kill you for cash but never raise the gun to cry out freedom at last the cold war is over but the world is still getting colder atlas walking through the projects with the hood on my shoulders i would like to raise my children to grow to be soldiers but then a general would decide when their life would be over so i work hard until my personality split like the black panthers into the bloods and the crypts they said i'd never be shit but now i sit and reminisce like yeshua ben yosef flipping through genesis all right, what uh, what about those lyrics really spoke to you that you like so much? Yeah, yeah, and this was like early 2000s, really kind of like I joined the military and I was 17, 18 years old. So I will not be going to lie. This, when I first heard this song, it was kind of like really, really part of my, it was, it was going towards my political awakening because I was reading about the Black Panthers at the time, reading about Malcolm X, reading about Dr. King, reading about the 60s. Um, and so what I like, so it's, it's the lyrics. Uh, it's funny how on the block niggas will kill you for cash, but never raise a gun to cry freedom at last. The Cold War's over, but the world's still getting colder. Alice walking through the projects with the hood on my shoulders. I would like to raise my children to grow to be soldiers, but then the general would decide when their life will be over. So I'll work hard until my personality split like the Black Panthers into the Bloods and the Crips. They said I'd never be shit, but now I sit in reminisce like Yeshua Ben Yosef flipping through pages of Genesis. Ignorance of venomous, it murders the soul, spreading rapids, spreading like a virus, rampant out of control. So I just like that whole like imagery he plates paints with this song, or this this verse, or this part of this verse. It's kind of just like showing the people how you know a different way, but also how the times have changed. Because at one time we were kind of revolutionary, and but now we're just like it's all about money, and we'll even kill each other for that money versus fighting for our freedom. And even our revolutionary, you know, um, leaders and revolutionary parties like the Black Panthers, you know, devolved into, you know, um, reactionary street games. Um, and it, and it basically because like, um, in an earlier clip of the song, he's like, I saw, he say, uh, so I focused on my economic situation. I'm like little kids that did through the trash. I hustle regardless the way you talk shit and laugh. Um, a lot of niggas drop the science, but they don't know the math because their mind is narrow than the righteous path. So he's talking about that mentality of like people. He's talking about he grew up in New York, you know, and he's like a, a decade older. I mean, he's only a few years older than me. So it was probably around the 80s and 90s when he migrated from his, his home country where there was like a fucking civil war there thanks to U.S. foreign policy in uh, Peru. <laughs> uh, shout out to Reagan, that son of a bitch. But he's like, he's in a growing up in New York at that time. And even me growing up in Chicago, that was a mindset. You know, young guys wanted to be like, you know, they, the guys in the neighborhood, especially if you come into the poor communities, low-income communities, you know, in the hood, in the 90, 80s and 90s, the people who were flashy in the neighborhood who had nice cars and shit, they were the drug dealers. They were like 
the gang guys and stuff like that. And these are like they seen big time when you're a kid. You know, you, you, America tells you these are the material things you should should want and thrive for. And then you see people with that growing up in the community. And then some people like it was no choice. Like they had no other fucking choice. Like there was all the other options were closed out to them. So they end up having to go. Has the Huey P. Newton talked about legitimate capitalists and illegitimate capitalists? And the only difference between the two type of capitalists is what society deems as legitimate and illegitimate. So I, I, I really like that. And this song is just real deep. And then also um, the chorus of this song is really just powerful. And the chorus is like, so if I should ever fall and get caught in the hustle, I let them know that I died while I fall through the struggle from the hood rats to the rich kids lost in the bubble. Spray paint on the streets or the subway tunnels. Write it down and remember that we never gave in. The mind of a child is where the revolution begins. So if the solution has never been to look at yourself, how do you expect to find it anywhere else? So it's like, I just this song is just so fucking amazing. And I just like that whole, the, the mind of a child is where the revolution begins. And we see that with like fucking, and, and right now in what's going on in Gaza, like the, 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 most of the population is young people. And what the fuck is going on there? And like the fact that it's on the flip side, awakening so many people who are like, we are fucking living through some horror shit which we learned about in history books. And we said that as humanity, we fucking never do this shit again, never fucking again. And yet here it goes. And now there is powerful forces behind the state of Israel, including the United States. And if you criticize them, a government, not a fucking people, not a religion, but a government for doing fucking evil shit. Oh, you're anti-Semitic. You're reactionary. You're, you're trying, you want the, 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 all the Jewish people to die. No, we, we, we want to destroy Zionism. We want people to live in peace and harmony there. Like they did thousands of years ago of all religious faiths. So I just think about that and have maybe new revolutionaries are being made because of what's going on in the world today. And and maybe, you know, we think about maybe the next generation will be better. You know, there'll be some dumbasses like every generation, but maybe there'll be a few that rise up and be like, hey, this we got to change this shit. <laughs> now the problem is when we go back to our others or other songs by Rage Against the Machine, are they going to shoot them down or sell or get them to sell out or lock them up in the cage forever? Who knows? I do like that that line is really cool about the being in the mind of a child. And I've thought about that many times with, you know, most revolutionary movements. It, they're led by young people. And I think what that is, is young people have a fresh perspective on the world so they can see it. You know, they can see the forest for the trees and see what it is and how fucked up it is. And they still have kind of a blind hope, you know, that they can change it, which I think is great. Um so yeah, I mean that's that's why you know young people are usually the ones leading these movements, and I you know think it's awesome. Yeah, those are dope lyrics. I never I've never heard that song by him, so I'm gonna yeah. check it out. And then there's this one last part I want to want to get into because I, I this is the part that is, it's an outro, and he said I used to wonder why people don't believe in themselves. Then I saw the way we they portrayed to everyone else. They cursed us to only see the worst in ourselves, blind to the fact the whole time we were hurting ourselves. I used to wonder why people don't believe in themselves, but then I saw the way they portrayed us to everyone else. They cursed us to only see the worst in ourselves, blind to the fact the whole time we were the ones hurting ourselves. So it's it's, it's like the whole um, self fulfilling prophecy, and this whole song was about like how we could be revolutionaries, but so much of the the, the poverty and injustice of the poverty gets in our way that we're only focused on our economic situation. Our mind hasn't expanded. In fact, you know, think about revolutionary um, topics or political ideology, or thinking about new systems of being like socialism, uh, socialist democracies, usually beyond the rationale of people who are struggling. They're not, they got it. They're thinking about their next meal. They're thinking about keeping a roof on their head. 
And if you get to in this, in this life, especially if you get caught in a hustle, like you're drug dealing, gang banging, on the corner, in the block, in and out of jail, that becomes your whole entire life. And then you just see, and then you start to, it's a self-hatred. Like the, the media portrays certain groups of people this way. And you'll go on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, and they're like, oh, more black people are more criminal than others, or Latinos are more criminals. I mean, Trump, he got his come up to become president when he's like, Mexico isn't sending their best. They're murderers, they're rapists, and I assume some of them are good people. But yet, the motherfuckers who came to the new world that were murderers and rapists were the fucking Europeans. But they never are typecast as that. They're never stereotyped. It's all the other darker races of the world in the global south that are portrayed that way. And in the United States, it's definitely black and brown people. We're the murderers, we're the rapists. And it's this mentality is promoted on the media and it's promoted throughout the globe. And then we start to see that sales and we become that thing. And we can't even see that the becoming that self-fulfilling prophecy in the end, even if we're thinking about like our economic situation and getting out there and only like our own selfish means of like, I got to hustle to at least have some food on my table. At the end of the day, that shit is hurting our own selves and our own community. And that, you know, it, that same energy could be put into revolutionary movements and change, but because of the way the system's structured, uh, the revolutionary movements have been crushed, and the ones who remain on the streets, you know, broke, split, and fractured into petty street gangs and or powerful street gangs because the Bloods and Crips are like <laughs> they're global. I mean, they're national. I mean, this shit, they're probably global. It's probably Bloods and Crips in fucking parts of Africa and parts of Asia and shit like that. So, you know, but but the purpose at one time was like revolutionary movements and how that can change. So I think this song is just deep on so many levels and that, that, that the mind of a child is where the revolution begins is, is very important. So, cause like the young people, like you said, Brian are going to lead this movement. I also, when you read that outro, I also kind of got the hint of, of that old idea of like, you know, we are this way because of society, but we are society also, you know, so there's kind of that duality there. So yeah. Awesome. I've never heard that song before. So I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, for mine, I chose the song uh, Rich Man's World. Um, it's off a <laughs> free album he put out called The Martyr. <laughs> and um, it's a really cool song that he sings from the perspective of, you know, the billionaire ownership class powers that be and singing about kind of their their view of the world. Um, and I like uh, the song starts off with a clip from the movie Network, which came out in 1976. I highly, highly recommend checking out the movie. Uh, the movie is absolutely amazing. Isn't that isn't that actor that isn't that the Jeff Goldblum's voice or that's just an actor that sounds like him? No, 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 no. It's a it's a different guy. Okay, no, you uh, know that's, that's funny a, that you thought it was him. No, they, no, no, no. That's, no, you know I think about another song. Um, that that's that's on. Um, I think about another song, where, and that's a movie from like the nineties. It's like a, a movie about drug dealing. Um, and and that's that's it's, it's Gold Goldella Stato. That's that song that starts off with that. There's no, um, yeah, it's a different song. My bad. <laughs> um, networks about there's this anchor who kind of goes kind of crazy and starts spitting a bunch of facts live on air, but then he gets kind of a following and he gets popular. So the media wants to control him, but then they also want to keep putting him out there because they're getting good ratings. And it's kind of about, you know, about the powers that be controlling the media and things. So absolutely fantastic movie. It would never get made today. Like it was a big budget movie <laughs> had, you know, famous actors that I recognize from the seventies, but no fucking way it get made today. Um, so it's song starts off with a bang. Um, 
And then just some of the lyrics I really liked from it. Um, he says, new money buys brand new carrots. My old money bought your great grandparents. You got grills in your mouth. I ain't mad at you. I own every gold mine in South Africa. Thanks, baby. You made me a billion. Plus, I own a building for each one of my children's children. And I love that that highlights, you know, you you, you mentioned earlier, Lornette, like, you know, rap culture and, and, you know, making it and all this kind of thing. And in their mind, to to, you know, to people who grew up poor, we're trained that like to have these expensive things. That's like when you really made it, when you're really wealthy. But as he points out in this song, that's nothing compared to the power that the people have, you know, like, oh, so you got some diamonds. I own the fucking diamond mine. So I'm making money off of you. So I really like how he points that out. Um, another line that I really like, he says, um, but they don't want me indicted because they don't want my dirty laundry aired when I fight it. Don't get my lawyers excited, because what good is a law if you can't rewrite it? Um, I think that's important to point out. One, like the laws don't apply to the powerful. They they fund the people that write the laws, so they can change the laws whenever they like. And it's also, he points out, it's the reason why, you know, all these powerful people, all the richest people in the world, they all go to the same universities. They all work on the same boards. They all know each other. It's a, just like George Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. <laughs> So that's a reason why you never see these fuckers go to jail because they don't want. And, you know, it's the same reason you saw Epstein get murdered because they don't want his dirty laundry aired because they have dirty laundry on all these other fucking powerful people. Um, so I really like that. He points that yep. out. Um, I liked I love the line. He says, no invention would benefit the world of man will exist till I got the money in my hand. And that's so fucking true that I think about solar power with that. Like, we would already have that shit, except the powers that be don't want you to have limitless free energy at your disposal. They want to be able to control you. So nothing is allowed to be utilized in this society unless the powerful get get to use it. Exactly. Oh man, that's that song. I love the like beginning where he's like Jack Abramoff, hold your head. He's talking about you know the real, real Rockefeller and just like all these rich assholes who you know we might have heard of their families or some of them we never even heard of. And just like these are the real gangsters, uh, of the fucking you know. <laughs> he's like, uh, well, like he said. Then he there's a lyric and he's like, I bought I I bought um, the president or something like that. He talks about how they own the presidency. Yeah, he he mentions that a couple times in the song, so I'll read one of them too. He says, um, "Since you were born, we controlled what you watch and you read, and pretty soon we're gonna own the fucking air that you breathe." I take what I want, fucker, and I don't need to say please. I'll convince you that it's good for you. Take it and leave. You think the presidents are the face of the nation? I put them all where they are. End of the conversation. <laughs> that's, a, that's so fucking gangster uh, because it's fucking true. Have you ever seen that clip of uh, Ronald Reagan? giving a speech and there's some old like older even older white guy than ronald reagan behind him in the business suit being like and it's like he visibly is like you can hear the hot mic being like uh wrap this shit up and this, this guy oh, telling no. the press like you never heard that yeah so like yeah this is so we we, we we us regular people like oh the president's so powerful and the fucking president is a figurehead even with his foreign policy that is being dictated you know you got son of a bitches like that rest in piss Henry Kissinger, motherfuckers like that. But all those motherfuckers, if you you scratch the surface of those motherfuckers like that, and I said motherfucker a lot in this. <laughs> a way to use motherfucker. But anyway, that's all I can say for these assholes. Uh, they're a bunch of motherfuckers. But they're bought and paid for by, you know, corporate interests. 
who who want to make sure that hey we need this foreign policy we got to invade that country the motherfuckers they have some rubber they got some oil they got some gas they got diamonds we need to we need to get that shit <laughs> i mean even some of the people who are looking at israel the israeli bombardment of gaza the gaza strip right now um there is projected scientists are projecting that there are they're sitting on a natural gas gold mine that if they could that the people of palestine could actually benefit from that 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 gas underneath there that they're talking about millions of trillions of metric tons it's like worth like some so many so much it's an astronomical amount of money we'll, we'll put this in the, um in the uh in our on our in our uh, social media but you know they can't exploit it <laughs> and 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 that's why they like they that's why israel that's why they, some people can think that's why israel is trying to force the people out of gaza so they can take over this land and, and exploit the, the natural resources. Um, so, and it, it's the sand in this world. If you live someplace where there are precious natural resources and you're the native people there, you're, you're fucked. And I mean, it's, it's yeah, get the fuck out. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's and at one time in a human society, it wasn't like that, but the last 500 years with the advent of capitalism, along with like colonization, European colonization, those things go hand Global in hand. Empires. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, Mortal Technique, whole discography full of bangers with amazing lyrics. So definitely an artist to check out. We would love to have him I- on the podcast. So if you know him, <laughs> you can put in a good word for us. Uh, we're, we're not trying to make any money off of anything like that. Our podcast is free. We're not, we don't get paid. We got day jobs and shit like that. Even if we think our day jobs suck, uh, we got to pay the bills because we're just regular Joes. But uh, we love to have Technique on that, on a, on a, on an episode just to fucking talk about whatever he's doing. Or just like, you know, his revolutionary discography. Uh, awesome dude. All right. What uh, what song you got next? Um, so I'm going to go to one of my most uh, favorite songs from the album Band of Gypsies. It's a, a song by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, came out in 1970 uh, called Machine Gun. And it's basically an anti-war, um, the anti-Vietnam song. All right, let's hear a clip. Machine gun, machine gun, gun me down. Got my body all on pieces. Machine gun, machine gun. All right, so um, Jimi Hendrix is probably one of the most well-known and well-respected and well-regarded and most revered uh, guitar players, mainstream guitar players, or just guitar players um, around the world. And the crazy thing is he died at the age of 27. So his he still he was only reaching his full potential, and he had a lot of ideas and, and going somewhere. But at this era of Jimi Hendrix, um, uh, only like a few you know months before his untimely death, um, he he was evolving as a musician, 
and he was getting wrapped up in the and I and I found out this song has a, a double meaning. So he starts off the song, um, "Happy New Year." First of all, I hope you have we'll have a million or two million more of them if we can get over this summer. Ha ha ha! I like to dedicate this to the dragon scene that's going on, all the soldiers fighting in Chicago, Milwaukee, New York. Oh yes, and all the soldiers fighting in Vietnam. I like to do a thing called machine gun. So that that starts off that little clip, and you know you're like, oh okay, well, okay, this is being pretty groovy. Dig it. But it's a double it's a double meaning to the song. He's talking about the soldiers in Vietnam, and he's also talking about the soldiers in the streets of Chicago, Milwaukee, New York. And those soldiers he's talking about is the Black Panther Party. So this song was a, the the war in Vietnam, but also the war between the Black Panthers and the and the powerful, um, basically the the FBI and the cops um, raging war against the Black Panther Party. So I didn't really know that until I read um, his autobiography that I got called "Excuse Me, About to Kiss the Sky." Um, so that was pretty, pretty cool, uh, to learn that. And then, uh, the first verse, it goes, uh, evil man, make me kill you. Evil man, make you kill me. Evil man, make me kill you. Even though we're only families apart. Well, I pick up my ax and fight like a farmer. You know what I mean? But the bullets keep knocking me down. Um, and I pick up my ax and fight like a farmer now, but yeah, you still blast me down to the ground the same way you shoot me down, baby. You just be going through the same thing three times the pain, and now your own self to blame. Hey, machine gun. So kind of this this song is kind of talking about war, and that the people on the ground like fighting each other, only fighting it for what he called the evil men, and what we talked about the that immoral technique song, the rich man's world. Like most war is young men dying, old men talking, and the old men run the run the defense industry, they run the military, they run the politics, they run the corporations that fund these wars and, and, and support these wars, and they send, you know, working class and middle class people to go to these foreign lands and fight other poor people on the ground, and, like, the, the thing is, those poor people fighting each other, they got more in common with each other, even if they're from very different cultures, than they have with these fuckers at the top who are fucking benefited from it, because the elites of Vietnam weren't fucking getting shot in the street. The puppet government that the United States was trying to install during Vietnam, or the fucking Nixon and fucking Lyndon Johnson wasn't going over there, and their kids wasn't going over there fighting. They were sending your fucking kids. So, and and I like it to pick up my axe because that was a, a slang term for a guitar, but also like a farmer with an axe, so it had double meaning. So it's just a really clever song. And also, this song is perhaps Jimi Hendrix's magnum opus, as far as like his. We talked about Tom Morello guitar skills, which are subpar. Um, bar none, like amazing, uh, fucking phenomenal. But Jimi Hendrix, this song right here just showed, and he was fucking 27 at, at the time. Like this motherfucker was a virtuoso. He was self-taught and it is his magnum opus. Cause depending on what version you hear, there's like a five to seven minute guitar solo. And what makes this song even more amazing is that the sound effects he's using, this is like 1970. So this is before a lot of our fancy technology I'm not a guitar player, so I don't know what technology they have now for guitars, especially electric guitars. But I'm pretty sure back then it was very rudimentary compared to now. And this motherfucker is making the sounds of war, helicopters, machine guns, bombs. What's this fucking guitar? <laughs> and there's one version where he ends it off with the Star Spangled Banner, just a guitar riff. And it's fucking amazing. Um, 
And then, you know, he and his, and he did this with Bands of Gypsies. It was an Army buddy and another uh, bass player. Uh, so it was all black band. Um, they only made this one album. I think it's one of most Jimi Hendrix's most phenomenal albums. Every song on there is amazing. And it was a basically combining rock, fusion, funk, jazz, blues, all into one funky-ass album that was very 70s, uh, ushered in the 70s. Because uh, <laughs> this, uh, this album was recorded on New Year's Eve. 1969 so uh that's why he starts it off with happy new year but um just an amazing song anti-vietnam song which is the anti-vietnam movie was very big and also jimmy hendrix served in the army like he was a he was a soldier um because he came from a very poor working class background he was in foster care ended up getting taken in by his father um they didn't have much in fact <laughs> his guy his first guitar was a ukulele that his dad bought like after work for like five bucks and gave it to him because he used to catch him plucking the guitar, but plucking the the broom, the, the uh, straw broom that he they used to sweep the floors with, uh, like a guitar. And he like he would find the broom all messed up and like, all right, let me just get this boy a guitar. <laughs> Let him. And he learned how to play by ear. So this is an amazing song. As it's one of my most. It's when I first heard this song, I was blown away. And I had heard of Jimi Hendrix. I knew some of his mainstream stuff like Purple Haze and Hey Joe. And somewhere along the Watchtower, all amazing songs. But I think this is, and most uh, fans of Jimi Hendrix in music will will say that this is perhaps his magnum opus. And I think it's perhaps one of the most amazing songs made. Not just because the the protest and radical uh, meanings to it, double meanings to it, but just as a, a piece of music um, is absolutely phenomenal, in my opinion. Yeah, the song is amazing. I love it. Um, awesome choice. Um, all right, for my next one, um, I've mentioned them so much on the podcast, I uh, figured I might as well mention them here. Um, it's the band Enter Shikari. Um, they're from the UK. Um, it's actually worked out great for me. For whatever reason, they're very popular in Europe. They play like in arenas and stuff, but they're not popular at all in America. So when they come to America, I usually go see them at like a dive bar for like 20 bucks and I fucking love it. So That's I kind of wanted awesome. to stay that way. <laughs> yeah, because it works out well for me. Um I guess kind of their music, they're like a punk band, but then also have like dubstep electronic, you know, elements. So I could kind of, I guess I can kind of see why it never really took off in America. But um, similar to Immortal Technique, Rage Against the Machine, majority of their songs have really dope lyrics. That's why I happen to bring them up on the podcast. They all seem very relevant. Um, the song I chose for this one is called, is the song System Meltdown off their album, A Flash Flood of Color. Meltdown. 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 
um, and some lyrics that really speak to me in the song. So he he kind of starts off with a metaphor for climate change. Um, he said, or I guess I should say the main lyricist in the band is the singer Rao Reynolds. Um, and he starts off the song with a metaphor about climate change. He said, there was a house in a field on the side of a cliff, and the waves crashing below were just said to be a myth. So they ignored the warnings from the ships in the docks. Now the house on the cliff is the wreckage on the rocks. Nothing can fix the building's flawed foundation. The scaffolding and stilts were the laws and legislation. This house was doomed, but they didn't care. They'd invested in a system that was beyond repair. And that's a perfect analogy for why you see absolutely no movement on climate change in any meaningful way. It's because we live in a capitalist system, so everybody's so invested in this current system, but it's that very system that's leading us to destruction. Exactly. Um, so I like that he pointed that out. And then by far my favorite part of this song, um, he says, Inside this sick foundation, we've had the realization. Inside this sick foundation, we've had the revelation. Fuck all borders and fuck all boundaries. Fuck all flags and fuck nationalities. Countries are just lines drawn in the sand with a stick. And that's perfect. <laughs> it perfectly sums up how, like, I one, I like how he says inside the sick foundation, we've had the realization or the revelation. And it reminds me of that old quote, you know, that I think it's Bob Marley, that you can fool, fool most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And I kind of think of that as, you know, this is us lefties, the community that listens, listens to this podcast. We grew up in this fucked up system that, you know, all the propaganda and all the media and all the education we went to, and it still couldn't, you know, we still were able to see, you know, to some degree outside that perspective yep. and see what's going on in the world. So that really gives me hope that, you know, I love to see that. And then, yeah, fuck all borders, fuck all boundaries, fuck all flags and fuck all nationalities. We're it's a new era. We're kind of, I think we can completely shed, you know, I'm from America. I'm from Canada. Like all that shit's stupid. There's no lines. Look at a picture of the earth. There's no fucking lines anywhere. No, like in a space station, the astronauts always say, when you look down on earth, you don't, you know, during the daytime, you don't see any like fucking borders because like, yeah, some shit we made up. Like it's just landmass. It's just the earth is this continents in, in, in the oceans. <laughs> Like yeah, this, this, exactly. These, and the fact that like we have to show a piece of paper to go to another part of the land of the of the planet that we all are from and come from is ridiculous. And 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 I, we talked about the pale blue dot by Carl Sagan, and how like you know everything we've ever known is on this pale blue dot, and the vastness of space that's all we are is a pale blue dot. And yet you know to humans it's like oh we got this is our land and we're gonna kill each other over this land. Just like the you know what's going on in Gaza right now. It's kind of just like. They, 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 the design has created a nation state where people are already living and, and now they're fighting over the land. And, and, and what I said in our, uh, occupy, um, our, uh, occupation, occupation of Palestine episode, I spoke about the fact that the, after World War II, at the people, the Jewish people from Europe were like, Hey, um, you know, we're not wanted here. You saw what happened. Um, you know what happened to us. Could we live in here with you all in, in our ancestral lands, and we can build community here as refugees? I'm, I'm like ninety nine percent sure. Besides, like the few people who've probably been the assholes, but most people are like, yes, you're welcome here. All people of all faiths and, and no faiths are, are welcome here to live here, um, to build community as refugees. Because, for the most part, not most part, but if we took away these ideologies and nationalities and like nation states and all this shit, 
and just people relating to people. There have been other societies where they have accepted people who are outsiders per se into their culture. Um, one example we talked about in our history episodes is when the the European um, climate uh, colonizers came over to the United States. Um, they had their own indigenous servants and stuff like that who were Europeans. Some of these men and women would like escape and go end up living amongst the Native Americans. And then the, the, the settlers or colonizers, whatever you want to call them, but they're colonizers, will come and capture the, those European folks from and take them back to their own uh, settler colony. Many of them would escape to go back and live with the Native Americans, which is something we didn't learn in school, but it's something I learned years later as an adult. Um, so if you have a culture that's welcoming and understanding, people they, people will like that because people just want to be treated with respect and have the human dignity to live in peace and harmony. So, yeah, the, the idea of borders and, 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 and the fact that you need a piece of paper to travel to to one part of the rock that we live on to another is fucking if you really think about it, it's, it's fucking stupid. It's got it's gotten so crazy too. Like, so me and Megan just went to Jamaica, and all the so many times we had to put our pa- enter your passport information here again and again. And then now they got this new thing. They're taking your picture like before you get on the plane to leave, and like when you arrive and shit. And it's just and all all these forms they got you filling out shit all just to travel around this little blue green globe. And it just shows you that we're ruled by money interests who are trying to control us. And it's it's frustrating. And the song has a lot of energy and it captures that frustration. So I fucking love it. Well, that's a, a good pick. Uh, all right. So uh, we can't talk about revolutionary lyrics and revolutionary artists uh, without talking about um, the, the underground, strictly underground, but awesome band. Uh, Dead Press, um, off their um, debut album in 1999 called Let's Get Free. Um, it was a bonus track called Propaganda. And um, the reason I picked this song is because, you know, at 19, and it has a 18, no, 17, 18 years old listening to this song, it just fucking blew my mind because it was like the first time I heard like some people really dropping knowledge like this, um, whether it's in music or just in, in general, because like people I grew up with, you know, we didn't, we didn't, it wasn't revolutionary talk growing up in my houses or anything like that. So when I heard this song for the first time, it, it was pretty awesome. Uh, so shout out to M1 and Stick Stickman. Um, I, I got to see them live at the Shrine in Chicago back in like 2013, I believe, at a, at a concert. So uh, that was pretty dope. I don't even know if they still perform anymore. And one fun fact, um, um, the their first song, uh, Hip Hop, that got very popular in the early, late '90s was produced by uh, Kanye West himself, <laughs> and they were like, "Yeah, we paid. We would. We can never afford a Kanye beat now, but back then, uh, we definitely paid." And that same beat was an intro to the Chappelle show. Unfortunately, Dead Dead Prayers. I, I know they got to look at themselves like, "Damn, our homies. What the fuck happened to them? You know, twenty some years later, from Chappelle to, to Kanye, both of them went to the fucking." Black conservative dark side is is so weird. Uh, that was they got rich, but um, yeah. Let's play a clip of uh, propaganda. You can't fool all the people all of the time, but if you fool the right ones, then the rest will. 
far behind Tell me who's got control of your mind Your worldview Is it the news or the movie You taking your girl to uh. Know what I'm saying Cause Uncle Sam got a plan If you examine what they telling us Then you will understand What they planting in the seeds Of the next generation Feeding our children miseducation No one knows if there's UFOs Or any life on Mars Or what they doing when they up in the stars Because I don't believe a word of what the president said He filling our head with lies Got us hypnotized when he be speaking in cold words About crime and poverty Drugs, welfare, prisons, guns and robbery It really means us There's no excuse for the slander But what's good for the goose is still good for the gander, see I don't believe Bob Marley got me cancer 31 years ago I would have been a panther They killed you Cause they knew we had the answer The views that you see in the news is propaganda Such a dope song Yeah, yeah And it was it's definitely like One of those songs that just Pretty much opened my eyes As a, like a fucking Young You know, young Young adult basically um, And I like to have the verse First starts off with uh, M1's verse you can't fool the people all of the time, but if you fool the right ones, then the rest will fall behind. Tell me who's got control of your mind, your worldview. Is it news or the movie you're taking your girl to? You know what I'm saying? Because Uncle Sam got a plan. If you examine what they're telling us, and then you'll understand what they're planting in the seeds of the next generation. Feeding our children, it says education. I just like love the way that fucking song starts off because it's so... Yeah, I feel like, yeah, my, my, my young mind at the time, 18, 19 years old, 17, 18, 19 years old, listened to this for the first time, was just fucking blown. I'm like, damn, that's fucking for true. Like, what we front s- to back. Go no, ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say front to back too. I think that is, it would probably be in my top ten favorite rap rap albums of all time. Um, just so many good fucking songs, so many good lyrics. I like. There's even that that song on there, healthy, mm-hmm. where it's just the song is just about eating healthy, but it's like such a good fucking oh, song. Yeah, yeah, and it has like you know revolutionary meaning to it and stuff. And oh uh, yeah, just so great. Yeah, and then and then the other part of that first verse uh, from M1's verse, I don't believe a word of what the president said. He's filling our head with lies. Got us hypnotized when he's speaking in cold words about crime and poverty. Drugs, welfare, prison, guns, and robbery. It really means us. There's no excuse for the slander, but what's good for the goose is still good for the gander. See? Uh, and what he's talking about is just like, you know, coming out the Reagan era, and Ronald Reagan created his ideal of welfare queens and, and, and Cadillac kings. And he was talking about, basically, it was cold word for black folks. And like, look, they're crying, they're poor, and we're giving them welfare. They're just using it to, you know, get drugs and kill each other. Even though they were using code words, and they still do to this day. I mean, anytime you talk to a conservative, look at Chicago. You know, you think you go to Chicago as soon as you get off the plane, you're gonna get shot. And it's nothing like that. It's just perhaps one of America's like greatest major cities, uh, despite its flaws, because the whole entire country is fucking flawed. And if you get rid of poverty, <laughs> you'll get rid of crime because people will have what they need, and they won't be able to resort to the black market or have to rob and steal from each other. And most of the time, most crime are committed by people. Of the same class and like i said on this podcast before poor people are more likely to get robbed by poor people middle class people are more likely to get robbed by middle class people and the rich they rob everybody so i like that part of the song because it's, it's real it's real dope and then this is the, the lyric that really really blew my mind when i was i was a young guy because um, I, I grew up i was i'm black in america we from chicago my family came from st louis and tennessee so you know, descendants of slaves. Religion is very deep in the black community. It's, you know, Jesus is our nigga. 
collectively. <laughs> even even for our even as younger generations of Americans get less and less religious, black Americans, even the younger ones, are still very for the most part religious. And it's 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 crazy. But um I like the stick man's second verse, how that starts. I don't want no computer chip in my arm. I don't want to die by a nuclear bomb. I say we all rush the Pentagon, put all the guns and grab the Pentagon. I say my first words would be, I believe man made God out of ignorance and fear. If God made man, why the hell did he put us here? I thought he's supposed to be the all loving, the same God that let Hitler put Jews in the oven. So when I heard that shit, has a, you know, God damn. I was like, it, that was like my path towards like becoming an atheist. Like once I heard that, I was like, it started making me question like everything I believe as far as like religion. Cause I'm like, yeah, if God's supposed to be about love and like, you know, caring for others and all that shit. And we learn you know, in school, we learn about fucking Nazi Germany and Hitler fucking slaughtering the Jews. And it, and also he slaughtered anybody who wasn't like Aryan or white and Anglo really. Anybody who wasn't Anglo, he fucking put in the ovens um, or against his politics or against his politics. So if you're a communist, you know, so Wait, when 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 the 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 right reactionary right wingers are talking shit because I'm like you all are want to be fascists or are fascists, so it's up to the leftists to fight them and and like Chris Hedges said, I don't fight fascists because I win. I think I'll win. I fight fascists because they are fascists, and we should all be wanting to fight fascists. But this really made me think. It's like, yeah, everything I've been told about God's love and all that stuff, and then you know, I start thinking about my community because even earlier the lyrics I I. I stated was um about kind of like the, the the stereotypes that are portrayed in the media when these politicians are speaking the code to their base about like certain groups of people like we talked about trump talking about latinos and how they're all rapists and murderers and and, and Donald, ronald reagan dove in it bill clinton gutted welfare as we as we know it because it's like we can't get those poor people welfare checks they need to they need to work hard hey work with the republicans they're so-called liberal hero bill billy clinton when he wasn't getting his dick sucked in the fucking Oval Office, he was fucking gutting welfare and creating fucking three-strike laws and fucking giving armed military aid, armed military weapons, military-grade weapons to fucking police. Like, why do you need military equipment for your for your police force? Are they going to war with the citizens of your community? I guess they are. And we got a bunch of dumbass people in this country who will stand the cops. Well, they need that to keep themselves safe. You know who has a much dangerous job? Fucking firefighters. They run into fucking burning buildings and pull people out. When you're in an accident or some shit, besides the EMTs, the fire fucking department comes. All right. The police come and have time. They fucking, they're not doing shit. It's the fucking firefighters and the EMTs that are fucking saving some lives out there. And there's not a song out there called Fuck the Fire Department. It's a song called Fuck the Police. Um, so I like the end of this um, verse. Commercial airplanes falling out the skies like flies made me wonder what secrets went, went down with Ron Brown, who burned the churches to the ground with no evidence found. It's not coincidence. It's been too many study incidents. It could have been a clan who put the bomb at the Olympics, but it's probably the FBI deep at the core because if they make us all panic, then they'll start martial law. And you know, people might be like, oh, this hyperbole, it will never happen. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, what the fuck ever? Like, 9-11. You had, you had to be ignorant to history to think that because there are several examples of FBI, CIA fatil- facilitating terrorist attacks. And then anytime there's any kind of crisis, whether no matter who causes it, the government uses that as uh, as an opportunity to implement new dr- draconian laws. Exactly. We found that out with 9-11 that 
The intelligence agencies knew that an attack on the United States was imminent and the, the Bush administration did nothing to stop it. But they surely did capitalize off of it. Halliburton got paid. Dick Cheney used to be working Halliburton. Then he had stocks in Halliburton. So his company made millions from the war on terror. And then we finding out with this um, attack on Gaza that the Israeli government knew the Hamas attack was imminent for months on end. They could have sent in special forces, got those guys and dealt with it in a, in a way where it was far less bloodshed or captured them alive and, and brought them to trial for like, you know, threatening terrorist actions, which is so-called civilized Western society that the nation of laws should be, but they, but they didn't. And I love the interlude for this uh, song because it's just, it's just deep all around. It's just, it's just some, some straight dropping knowledge. FBI, CIA, ATF, KKK, IRS, TNT, CBS, NBC, FBI, CIA, ATF, KKK, IRS, TNT, CBS, NBC. So just how it goes off. Like basically saying that all these entities are interconnected because it's, it's all basically white supremacy and control and policing um, the poor. And if you if you ever question anything, you know, you're fucked. So it's all propaganda. That's all what this song means. It's like how propaganda influences the masses of people um, and that these entities are all tied to white supremacy and total um, police state and control. And you can be like, well, you're wrong. We're wrong about that. You're wrong about that, Brian Lernet. But we talked in our Freedom of Speech episode, 1980, the year I born, 40 years ago exactly. Over 100 different companies had new media outlets on television. Fast forward to 2023, and it's only six major corporations. So now I sound like Cornell West. It's only six major corporations that run our media, our dear brother Brian. So yeah, Propaganda is a great song. Listen to it. Great song, great album, great rap duo. Fucking love David Dead Prez. Um, so awesome choice. All right, for mine, um, I picked uh, the UK rapper uh, Akala, I think is how you say it, right? I've heard many different pronunciations. I think that's how you say it, though. I'm not familiar with him, so I, I wouldn't know. Oh, okay, yeah. But a uh, uh, dope rapper. Um, and the song I picked was called Find No Enemy off his uh, album Double Think. Um, and the whole song front to back just dope lyrics um, so let's check out a clip now apparently I'm second generation black Caribbean and half white Scottish whatever that means see lately I feel confused with the boxes because to me all they do is breed conflict it's not that I've lost touch with reality of racism sexism and nationality just to me all seems like insanity why must I rob you of your humanity to feel good about mine it's all about crime dehumanizing how I justify them so I must keep lying about the history of Africa so I can live with the massacres and repeat my mantra Muslim terrorists so I can sleep at night as bombs take flight eyes open wide but I'm blind to the sight too busy chasing the perfect life and the working class keep them uneducated truly educated men can never be a racist educate is to draw out what is within are we not all the same under the skin I got a heart like yours that pumps blood and oxygen and insecurities a whole lot of them I'm scared like you deep down I really do care that the 
Yeah, so like I said, whole song, dope lyrics, um, but some parts that really always stick out to me. Um, I love where he says, if I'm honest, I'm just tired. Tired of every day filling up my car and knowing that I'm paying for the bombs in Iraq. Tired of pretending like it don't hurt my heart, of, of wanting to change, but not knowing where to start. And I think that that happens to me all the time. You know, once you become semi-conscious in the society, you see... All this corruption just like in your face all the time. When you see your taxes on your check stub, you know that that's going to fund wars. When you fill up your gas tank, you know that's going to fund wars. When you buy clothes, you know this was probably stitched by some child for, you know, five cents in some foreign country. So it it, 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 it like weighs on your mental health so much being able to see all these kind of how everything's connected and seeing all these crimes in front of your face. Um, and then where he ends that verse about, you know, saying he doesn't know where to uh, about you know, wanting to change the, the hurt in his heart, but not knowing where to start. Um, and I've definitely gone through that, especially feeling disillusioned with protests and stuff. It's like how, I don't know, sometimes the system just seems so all encompassing, you like wonder where do you, you know, where do you even start to begin to, to try and take this down? Um, and then the next verse that I wanted to talk about and learn that I actually wanted to get your opinion on this, because it relates to the N word and kind of black, um, you know, reactionary literature I've seen where some people, some black people don't like that, you know, because now it's kind of, you you know, black people use the word to each other. Some black revolutionaries don't like that and think that we should just get rid of the world altogether. Other people like that they, you know, other black people like that they've, you know, kind of made it their own. Um, where do you happen? I was just curious. Do you, where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, Yeah, it, it's very, I think the, the, the black folks who don't like the the use to so you say to say nigga. That's the word we're talking about. It's okay, you can say it. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I can say it. But we're, we're talking about nigga. That's the end word we're talking about. Nigga, nigga, nigga. Uh, I I had no problem with other black people saying it, and I, I think it's we say it obviously as a, a form of empowerment to each other, and also just reclaiming the word word for ourselves. And I know there's people who get angry and be like, oh my god. Why can't we say it? Oh, well, obviously, there's a whole history behind that why you can't say that. Um, and it's still very relevant today. Uh, and when that when you say, saying nigger versus nigger, it, it's very different. And it, and it hits it hits different. Uh, so that hard ER hits very different. And, and someone who's been called that, not in an endearing way. And that was, uh, as they said in the first Kanye album, I don't mean that. You was a nigga. And I don't mean that in no good way, Kanye. I've been called that. Brian, I was with you one time. We were leaving uh, downtown DeKalb and some car rolled past like, nigger. And it's obviously directed towards me. Don't you remember that shit? I don't remember that. You don't remember that shit? It was mm-hmm. like one night we were all leaving the bars. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I got called a boy in South Carolina. But the only place I got called a nigger which is twice was in my home state of Illinois. So this whole idea that the North versus the South, um, like Malcolm X said back in the day, you're South as long as you're South of the Canadian border. And he should have updated it and been like, you're South as long as you're South of the, the North Pole. <laughs> it's funny. Oh my God. People driving by in cars. It happened to me once I was going to a wedding and the hotel was in a, a very shady neighborhood and I, you know, was going to a wedding with my blonde hair, so I could not have looked more waspy. So I went to the gas station to go buy something. And, you know, it was late at night, long after the wedding was over, when I was walking back, a car rolled by and dude just shout, go home, white boy. <laughs> and, I was, <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> but, um, no, but I'm glad you brought up, 
you know, why white people can't say it because of the history, because he, he touches on that in his lyrics. And when I think about why white people can't say it, I always think of the lyrics in this song. And so he's referring to the N-word, and he goes, That blood-soaked word that rappers still use, all it really shows is that we still self-abuse. That was the word that was used to kill Kelso Coltrane and Emmett Till. That was the word that the conscience eased, that made people pleased to hung you from trees. Now that that was the word that let the whips crack, no matter what you say, you can't take it back. And to say they're black, so I feel their pain easier, but 1915, look at Armenia. So I like... You know the the line um, that was that was the word that made the conscience ease that ma- that made people pleased to hung us from trees that was the word that made the whips crack so that's what I think about like when white white people couldn't say this word because there's this horrific fucking history where they're all all these white people shouting that word as they did this horrific shit and that shit's always connected and you can't undo it no matter how much you want to. oh times have changed up it's been a while. You can't take that shit back. So I always no. Think and, about and, and Brian, this is I didn't learn this until I was a fucking grown ass man. Um, so I we I learned about lynchings in school, but I didn't know like the culture behind it. Like motherfuckers, it was like a fucking family picnic day. Yeah, like, they, they were hanging fucking and black shit. people, and like they mm-hmm. would fucking burn their bodies after and mutilate their bodies and sell pieces. Of the, it's some sick horror movie shit that people mm-hmm. were like to take the whole fucking family to. Like so, yep. you're teaching your kids like these people are subhuman, and we can do all type of crazy. We don't even do that to fucking animals. That we, I mean, yeah, we don't do family outings to slaughterhouses. Yeah, yeah we right, don't do family right. outings to fucking slaughterhouses. And we should maybe like we'll change our fucking meat industry, but that's a whole another episode for another time. So it, it's insane. And I know nowadays we don't teach anything in fucking schools because it'll make little Billy feel sad that he learns that his great grandma was fucking yelling at a 12-year-old black girl going to integrated school because she wanted the education. <laughs> he, might see, he might see some of his relatives in those old photos from the 1960s. Because, you know, we think that's a long time ago because Americans think that anything over 10 years is so long ago. But that's like people's lifetime. Like my mom was born in the 60s. So my, and my mother's not 80 years old. She's only like, you know, in her mid-60s. So, right. Um. And and I, I like how he ends, so he talks about that in the verse, and I like how he ends the verse by saying, and I can say they're black, so I feel their pain easier, but 1915, look at Armenia. And what he's referring to is the Armenian genocide, which I think it was the Turks um, that committed against Armenians. Um, but what he's pointing out is that those were, you know, white people, light-skinned, brown people, whatever, you know, on the Mediterranean. Um so there's not a single, you know, what he's pointing out there is that, like, you, you know, you you can't just say it's only black people that have experienced that. It's because it's all people in every country all around the world. It's a problem that, you know, all humans have existed in different cultures on, at, at different levels. Um, So I like how he points that out. And at the very end of the song, he says, all that we chase and try to replace all along, it was right in our face. The only way we can ever change anything is to look in the mirror and find no enemy. And... that kind of caps off a whole verse where he was talking about we you know as human beings we carry this hurt and pain from our own experiences things and we always not always but we we tend to turn that to lash out at other people and we're always looking you know who's causing these problems there you know these people are to blame these people are to blame and and we also you know blame each other we don't forgive ourselves for our own sins and you know things like that and so I just like how yeah. he talks about if we're trying to come together and build solidarity, we need to stop this constant, you know, that's what the whole song is about. Stop, you know, searching to find an enemy, just find no enemy, you know, look, focus on what we can build. So dope song, dope album, dope, dope artist, check them out. Yeah. And that's coming to me that the politics of like 
bougie Negroes who don't like to, to use the N word or like think if you dress dress well and speak well and you won't get shot in the head like Dr. King, despite how respectable they are. It's called respectability politics. So it, I knew it would come. Uh, okay. So the the whole respectability politics is definitely peddled by the bourgeoisie, um, black upper middle class and, and, and elites. Because even like you know Jay Z is all about like you know I his his song of OJ is all about like oh I showed you how to you know it, it's very anti revolutionary even though he probably thinks it's revolutionary, but he's like. Oh, you know, they look at us this way and they this look at us this way as, you know, niggas and nothing nothing else, nothing more. But, you know, if you hustle like me and learn the game like me, you can take art and you can flip it and become a billionaire like I did. So all you can just need black capitalism will save us all. Even though they can only let one nigga at a time be that rich. They ain't gonna let all of us be that rich. So, <laughs> and also when we did have Black Wall Street, shout out to Tesla Oklahoma, they fucking bombed the shit out of that fucking town and killed all the black people had their own black businesses, had a whole self-sufficient black banks, black businesses. It was black capitalist dream. Like it was a self-sufficient black community. And those white people were like, uh-uh. Well, all one lady had to do say, hey, somebody raped me, even though she probably wasn't raped by a black man. And she, her husband might have caught her cheating. It was probably a black man. And they were probably consensual, but she got caught. She was like, oh, he raped me. Or maybe that she didn't say anything. Maybe she Maybe her husband's like, he raped you. And it's like, no, he didn't. It's consensual. I don't even like your ass. Oh, we're going to go kill him. And they fucking destroy the whole town. And it's, it's, it's Rosewood, Florida. I mean, it's so many black Wall Streets that have been destroyed. I mean, there's a town, there's a lake in the near here in Georgia. People think the lake is haunted because they fucking flooded a black town to make the lake. <laughs> so it's so many stories like that. It's just fucking so. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I guess we'll do our final song. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> we so, could do yeah. this forever. <laughs> I know we could do this forever. So I think you know maybe let's just yeah let's do one more song um and then uh let's hang on you know hang on to your list don't get rid of it save it and then we can you know maybe um listeners let us know if you like this up you know like this episode this idea we can do it again in the future or if it sucks we'll uh, keep our music to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're like your fucking music taste sucks. I, I yeah. highly doubt it. But yeah. uh, the last song I, I get uh, on my list is um. It's called The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. So we're talking about hip-hop history, 50 years of hip-hop. This song came out in 1982. Uh, it's on a, It was The Message. This is back in the day when it was just like fucking albums. So it was like a, a on an album. It was on a seven track. <laughs> um, and the thing about this song is it's basically conscious rap. And what I say is revolutionary for two reasons. Um, hip-hop was a new medium at this time. This is only... 10 years into the rap game and it was near not nearly as mainstream as it is now or even in the 90s so this is a different era we're talking about 1992 so this shit wasn't on the radio and stuff like this but this is like one of the first like conscious rap albums because like sugar hill games rapid delights it's a nice song and like you know it's fun it's a party song now there's some people in new york and in, in the old school hip-hop community like those guys stole the lyrics and stole the song but anyway grandmaster flash and the furious flash five uh with melly mail and, and uh Duke Booty and all them. Uh, this song is just laying down basically the reality of what New York City was in the late in the early eighties. And the song starts and I know Puffy Daddy took this beat and turned it to like don't push me because I'm closer to the edge. Him and Maze dancing in the desert with exploding Bentleys. But before that era, before the shiny suit P. Diddy era and Bad Boy era, uh, it was a song called The Message in the eighties. 
in the first verse, voice uh, verse. Oh, well, let's play the uh, clip and then we'll get to the uh, to the song. Broken glass everywhere. People pissing on the stage. You know they just don't care. I can't take the smell. Can't take the noise. Got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room. Roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far. Cause a man with the touch truck repossessed my car. Don't push me. Cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breezes blow. Crazy lady. All right, so the first verse of this song that I like, uh, broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stairs. You know, they just don't care. Can't take the smell, can't take the noise, ain't got no money to move out, so I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back. Junkies in the alley with a baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get that far because a man with a tow truck just repossessed my car. Um, and that first verse is just kind of talking about like how I was life in the fucking projects in the in the eighties. Like it was completely just destitute, and it was just despair all around. And even if you wanted to escape, you were too poor or too broke to fucking get away from that lifetime. And then the chorus goes, "Don't puss me." Cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Uh, 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 uh. It's like a jungle sometimes. It make me wonder why I can, how I keep from going under. And it's just like all this stuff. You know, anybody who has un- any sense of mind would basically be like, "Man, this is fucked up." Look at how we living. Um, so, um, and then, and then uh, you got the the third the third verse by Duke Booty. My brother's doing bad. Stole my mother's TV. She watches. She, she says she watches too much. It's just not healthy. All my children in the daytime, Dallas at night, can't even see the gang or the Sugar Ray fight. Bill collectors, they ring my phone and they scare my wife when I'm not home. Got a bum education, double digit inflation. Can't take the train to the job because it's strike at the station. Neon King Cone standing on my back. Can't stop to turn around. Broke my scroller sack. Mid-range migraine, cancer, membrane. Sometimes I think I'm going insane. I swear I might hijack a plane. So it's just kind of like how this this life of everybody's struggling. He's struggling from the perspective of the rapper. That is just like they're they're at the edge. They're fucking at the edge. And like this guy's might snap. I might hijack a plane. And in the seventies, it was a lot of plane hijacking. Let's let's not get it to. Brian, did you remember like when we were kids, like hijacked planes? But even like in the seventies, that shit was crazy. Motherfuckers would hijack the shit out of a plane in the seventies. Like if you wanted to, like <laughs> hijack, yeah. the motherfuckers was hijacking. You can never do that nowadays, but motherfuckers were hijacking the shit out of goddamn planes um, in the fucking seventies. It, it's it's crazy. Um, and then I like this last verse that Melly Mel puts down on this song because it's like a seven minute song, but it's so good. It's one of the greatest songs in hip hop history and no chord to me. So the fifth verse starts off with a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. So this part is talking about kind of have, you know, kids, you know, they have no idea about how the world is. They don't know how good or bad it's going to be. But like a kid born in the ghetto, they, they don't fucking have no, you know, wait. And he talks about in that later that verse, you'll grow in the ghetto, live a second rate. Your eyes will sing the songs of deep hate. Places to play, where you stay, looks like one great big alleyway. You admire all the number book takers, the thugs, pimps, pushers, and big money makers. Driving big cars, spending 20s and 10s, and you want to go up to be just like them. 
So he's talking about like basically like this child is born, doesn't know how the thing is, and they have no idea that they're born into it. Like they're poor. And the only people that they'll have to look up to, and kind of I mentioned earlier, growing up in Chicago in the 1980s and 70s, I mean, 60s, not 60s, I'm not that old. Uh, growing up in the Chicago in the 80s and 90s, like, yeah, what you saw was hustlers, pimps, um, you know, pushers and dealers and gangbangers. Like, these were the people in your community. Um, and so they had the nice cars, they had the nice jewelry. And that's kind of what you what you aspire to be, even though, I mean, because they thought, hey, if I buy these nice things, you know, this would make me equal, this would make me better. And, like, we're all living in the same shitty-ass neighborhood. So we're really not better than one another. We're all in the same boat. Um, so I love that. I love that knowledge they dropped. And then the fine, final part um, that I like is in the fourth verse um, by Duke Booty, or Boutte. Um, <laughs> um, and he's like, uh, my son said, Daddy, I don't want to go to school because the teacher's a jerk. And he must think I'm a fool. All the kids smoke reefer, and I think it'd be cheaper if I got a job and learn to be a street sweeper. Or dance to a beat, shuffle my feet because we're in a shirt and tie and run with the creeps because it's all about money. Ain't a damn thing funny. You got to have a con in this land of milk and honey. So it's just like even kids know that like it's all bullshit, especially when you grow up poor and working class. Like basically, like why is it why is school even matter? Like all the people around me are struggling, I'm struggling. The school, you know, sucks. Or if I go into school, there's metal detectors, security guards treating us like it's a fucking prison. Our teachers don't give a shit about us. The fucking society don't give a shit about us. They just want us to be grow up so we can be locked away or join the military and go fight for their fucking country, even though we come back to our homes, hometowns our hoods and shit still fucked up or getting gentrified nowadays but when i was in the military the shit was like you come back to the south side west side of chicago and it's still the hood and they're talking about oh you're fighting for freedom they hate us for our freedom i'm like i don't think the motherfuckers looking at me man i want to live in this neighborhood it's so great it's america it's freedom like this shit sucks it's, it looks like a fucking bomb went off here i wouldn't want to be in this neighborhood at all <laughs> so I, I just think it's kind of just laying down a painting a picture of what life was like growing up in the hood, especially in the eighties. But it's still relevant to today in so many poor black and brown communities, even white rural communities where they're poor as shit. Like basically like you gotta have a hustle to get out of this or a con. And if you're a lady, like, you know, are you gonna sell your body to a pimp and just, you know, that's that they think that's the way you get out. If you're a guy, are you gonna just sell drugs or like, you know, run the streets? Is that going to get out? You're going to sell dope? You're going to, you know, get in the gang because, like, you got to need protection. You got to have a con and it's land of milk and honey. So it's basically realizing that, like, the idea, like, it, and it's also a critique of the capitalist system because, like, what's trying to strive to be, like, all my children in Dallas and these are shows about super rich people, but yet we're living in this other reality where we're poor as shit, but, like, we can look at this TV and fantasize about this lifestyle and if guys who are trying to, men and women who are thriving in this lifestyle, trying to thrive for this lifestyle, are going to the black market. So they become what Hugh P. Newton talked about, which is an illegitimate capitalist because, you know, selling your body, selling drugs, the society sell, deems that illegal. But if they grew up in a different community, they might be have a school where they don't, where the teachers respect them, where they're educated, where they have options, opportunities, and they won't see that the only people around them are basically dealing in the black market and maybe that's their only option because that's all they fucking see. And either and like he said in that one verse, a child is born with no with a blank state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. So when a child is born into this ghetto, they don't know they're in the ghetto. They just like they're a baby. They're, they're it's new to the world. They're seeing it with fresh eyes. 
But as they grow up, they start idolizing the, the, the horrible things they see around them because that's their reality. So I think that, that this song really hits on that kind of growing up in the hood and what what was around at that time. And it's still relevant to this day because there's hoods across the across the nation in the United States and across the world. Hell, I, I've been in favelas in Brazil. <laughs> I've been in the hoods of Ecuador, uh, south side of Chicago, Oakland back in the day. So <laughs> I seen my fair share hoods. I grew up in one. Uh, it ain't pretty. Hell, I've been on, even on the res with my indigenous brothers uh, and sisters out that way. So uh, shout out to the uh, Navajo Nation or the Denai people. So, yeah. Awesome choice, dude. All right. And to uh, wrap it up, we brought him up a couple times, and I figured might as well give some uh, sh- our Chicago love uh, to our, our own uh, Lupe Fiasco. Um, I chose one of his deeper cuts, Un- Unforgivable Youth. Um, it's off his album Food and Liquor 2, the great American rap album. And uh, it's really a uh, unforgivable youth is referring to the youth of the nation and, um, you know, the, co- the colonization that formed the nation. Um, so we'll listen to a quick clip now. What they think are islands are much more in their size And bountiful and plentiful and resource to provide them Supply slim, morale one so heavily inside them That's steadily declining Return is not an option as necessity denies them With this they choose to dive in Not along the shore and so aware of their arriving Are the children of this land prepared to share in their surviving A pageantry of feather stands his majesty with treasure Not the material things of kings that can never last forever But secrets of the spirit world and how to live in harmony together unbeknownst to him his head would be the first that they would sever and stuck upon a pike along the beach kept us a warning to the rest to turn away from their beliefs and so began it here and for 500 years torture terror fear till they nearly disappeared Yeah, so as I mentioned, the song's really about the early days of colonization, and there's so many great lines um, in it, so I wanted to talk about some of those. Uh, so the first one being um, when he, he talks about when white people first arrived to the shores of North America, and he says, uh, Now along the shore and so aware of their arriving are the children of this land prepared to share in their surviving. A pageantry of feathers stands in his majesty with treasure, not the material things of kings that could never last forever, but secrets of the spirit world and how to live in harmony together. And I think that perfectly sums up, you know, like when you read about what first happened, most of the Native American nations that the Europeans ran into were all too eager to share things to learn about each other you know just very sharing acceptable you know christopher columbus wrote that you know they would just give you you know their shirt off your back anything you absolutely needed and as opposed to that where you have the europeans coming over where they got their you know centuries of their you know pillaging ideology with them and how you know to them even before they even landed and knew anything about the land where's the gold where's the gold where's the gold like so to them that was like the only thing that this beautiful land could possibly give them was just we need gold for money 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 where these native american nations we've lost so much just so much knowledge and culture about how to live in harmony with nature that now you know the european way of thinking has pretty much gone global to where we're just every all of nature is to be used for our own, you know, short-term gain. 
and there's no sense and it's go- it's going to lead to our extinction and we you know I, I just like how he points that out how how you know they have these, these secrets of how to live in harmony together um so i like that he pointed that out um and then he continues Un- unbeknownst to him his head would be the first that they would sever and stuck up on a pipe a pike along the beach kept as a warning to the rest to turn away from their beliefs and so it began for 500 years torture terror and fear till they nearly disappeared I just think that shows, which is absolutely true, Europeans did do that. So I think it shows the barbarity of colonization. Yeah, and we and we discussed that in our um, um, one of our early history episodes about the uh, in the arrival of the native arrival of the Europeans to the to the to the so-called New World because uh, there's already people living here, but just the fact that how they were the real savages, like the these individual. Uh, communities opened up and welcomed them um, even if they were strangers from a strange land and the crazy thing is like some of the settlers who came to the, the Americas uh, even after like the Columbus, age of Columbus you know some of them some of those early colonies wouldn't have survived like the fucking first winters uh, stateside and, and if it wasn't for the help of the Native Americans and then it, they turned their they turned on them and fucking gave them blankets of smallpox and like stole their land and, and killed them all so or, or killed most of them and then the ones who are still here they broke treaties at the treaty till they ended up on the worst land and so-called reser- reservations which is like fucked up just like all right we're gonna give you we're gonna take your original land your ancestral lands your lands that you've been living here forever and we're gonna put you on this this shitty plot of land and don't let us find any oil there or any type of you know type of resources. We'll kick you off that too, cause fuck your treaties. It don't mean anything. <laughs> like that immortal technique, rich man's world. Like the laws don't mean anything to me. When I can write the laws, I just rewrite a new treaty and tear up the old one. And it doesn't matter if you approve it or not, cause fuck you, I'm rich. And that's what's funny too is when you're studying history, when you look at how many treaties the u.s broke like you lose track you lose count there's just so oh, many yeah, like, it's not I'm like in, it happened once you know yeah, if i'm indigenous i wouldn't recognize the united states as a sovereign nation because i'm like this nation is a nation on stolen land and like we want to talk about they want to talk about the Isra- israelis who are like this is our land from two thousand years ago and we just we have a right to be here the native americans like they're like what the fuck like what the all you motherfuckers should leave then. All you mo- and like the black people, are like we didn't ask to come here. We didn't come here like fucking volunteer. We didn't come here voluntarily. It wasn't like hey, it wasn't like some white people away from Europe. They like, stopped in Africa. Like hey, y'all, y'all want to come to America with us? It's nice, man. They got like trees and shit. They got like fish. They got like these things called bears. You want to check that out? I don't know what a bear is. Let's go with you. No, it was like you know, it was like how Malcolm X said. It said they said nigga get down on the bottom of the boat and I'm taking you to America. And they like come help me build America. So this. Yeah, if you're a Native American, like, you're looking at the Israelis like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? Like, 2,000 years ago, in the Bible, or the Torah, that's all, all, all back then. So, that, that means we, we, we should, we should raise, we should just bomb the shit out of everybody here and take their land back, take our land back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> United, as, and if indigenous people start doing that, you know, America will call them terrorists and destroy them systematically like they did the Black Panthers. Who are not bombing anybody or anything like that? I know that this media, when they do our portrayed, our portrayed is like they were killing people. I even had a guy, a friend of mine in college. He told me that his teacher in Wisconsin said that the Black Panthers was a group of black people that would go around and hang white people. 
in the fucking 1960s. Dude, that is exactly. I don't know if they said that exactly, but that was what Im- was implied when I learned. When I learned about the Black Panthers, it was implied that they were like the KKK, just the black people version. It's like the education that Brian, was Brian, we, we all know in the 1960s, if it was a, a lynch party of black people and they <laughs> oh lynched a, one white man, they would have. They would have blew up that entire they community. Bombed them. Yeah, they would right, have dropped exactly. bombs on them. And and the funny thing is, because every you know, this, even when Obama was running for president, it was like this fear of white people, even liberal white people. Like, is he going to become president of black people, and all the black people are going to like kill us and enslave us? <laughs> even though, and they they thought the same thing. If we free the slaves, they they're all going through revenge. And it's like for the most part, black people just wanted to be left the fuck alone, and like to let us do our thing. Patrice, o- <laughs> Patrice O'Neill had a hilarious stand-up about that. He's like, when Obama was elected, I thought I was going to get a white slave. Go fluff my pillow, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And nothing like that happened. It's like, we don't win because the culture doesn't think like that. It's not about retribution or, like, you know, revenge. It's like, let's leave us the fuck alone let us be. So, yeah. So uh, he continues, um, ways and means from the trade of human beings, a slave labor force provides wealth to the machine and helps the new regime ex- est- and helps the new regime establish and expand using manifest destiny to siphon off the land. And so I just like how he says slave labor force provides wealth to the machine and helps the new regime establish and expand. And I think that's just important to to show that. Like slavery and subjugation of the lower classes is what built this country. The U.S. would have not been able to grow into the global empire that it was had the wealth not been extracted from people on the lower, you know, rings of society. Um, so I like how he points that out. Then I like he goes back to kind of talking about the Native Americans and he says, from Native caretakers who can barely understand how can land be owned by another man, they warn one cannot steal what was given as a gift. Is the sky owned by birds and the rivers owned by fish? And I I love that. And I that's what I loved. I took a, a Native American history class in college and I loved it because, you know, I was so wrapped up in my Western culture that I, I it was hard to look outside it and seeing different nations and how they viewed culture and our environment and things and it really showed me that there are different ways of living and i think it's awesome that he points out in this quote like it was hard for them like property rights you know we all take it we're all so wrapped up in this culture that we, oh yeah property this is mine don't come here i can call the cops if you come blah 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 but to people who had never experienced before, that was such a fucking foreign idea. And it didn't even, like, make sense to them. You know, it's like, what? Like, I, you can't go over there? Why? You know, like, do birds have to? They can't go, you know? And I, so I like how he, he pointed that out in the song. Yeah, no, it's, it's this whole idea. And, like, people nowadays like, well, you wouldn't you just let a random stranger in your house. And it's like, in those indigenous societies, like, like communism and socialism, like, uh, Immortal Technique even said this. He's like, Karl Marx just synthesized it for for white Europeans was this idea of like sharing resources and, and and living in harmony with each other. This is what indigenous people of the world over were doing for thousands of years before colonization, because it's just like the land is here. Um, we live in harmony with the animals, even if we eat the animals, but we honor their deaths to sustain our lives, and we don't like. Use more we don't overuse them and drive them into extinction. Exactly. We 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 if we we cut down trees or like you know build a house, we plant more. We plant another forest. Uh, so it was this idea, and it's the idea of like 
person owning the land. Like the funny thing is like a human lifespan is like fucking at the most 80 years old. So a fucking tree, an oak tree, an oak tree will live, a healthy oak tree will live for like three, 400 years. So like the oak tree in my backyard, oh, it's my fucking oak tree, I own it. Like that tree has been around before I was even thought about. And when I'm long gone and dead, barring any like lightning strike of disease or anything like that, that tree will be here long after I'm fucking dead. Because <laughs> I'm not going to live to be 300 years old. <laughs> Exactly. We're all part of a system. We're not, there's not a hierarchy, you know, with one at the top. Um, And then so he continues, but the lesson went unheeded for the sake of what's not needed. We kill, but do not eat it. The excessive and elitist don't repair when they leave it. The forests were cleared. The factories were built and all mistakes will be repeated by your future generations doomed to pay for your mistreatments, foolishness and flaws, greeds, needs, and disagreement. And I think that perfectly sums up, you know, your future generations are doomed to pay for your mistreatments. And that's really what we're doing to ourselves and to future generations having to deal with climate change. The bill is going to come due eventually. There's no, you can't fuck with nature and get away with it. It will come due. Maybe it won't be right now for you, so you don't give a shit. But there will come a day where your kids, your grandkids, they're going to have to pay the price for this, for our mistreatments and for, you know, the crimes that we're committing now. And I love one of my all-time favorite lines. He ends the song with, And in your rush to have the most from the day you left your boats, you'll starve but never die in a world of hungry ghosts. And I just think about that line all the time when I think about our culture and you see, because capitalism puts in this mindset that you, no matter how much you have, you need more. You know, I'm reading this fascinating book right now, and they talk about how there was this study, how people at every, they, they ask people, are you comfortable with your financial situation? Are you good to go? And no matter how rich you were at any scale, you know, if you make $10,000 a year, fucking $100,000, a million, a billion, everyone consistently put that they would need roughly 25% more money to feel comfortable, even if they were already unimaginably wealthy. And that's because capitalism is a consumption culture. So it feeds into your very soul that you always constantly need more. And that's where I think of that line, you'll starve but never die in a world of hungry ghosts. Because we're always constantly needing more. So we're starving, we're craving for this more, but it never will actually satisfy us because it's not community you know, purpose. It's not things that actually give our life meaning. Yeah. And it's because we're still living under this culture that was developed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. So well, the, the idea that we, we have to pay to exist on earth and we want to be like all these other animals are stupid and not that intelligent, but we, we, we pay to exist on earth for a few small percentage of humans to live like fucking gods and the rest of us like toil away at our jobs and there's different tiers, but we're all like basically feeding this machine for a few people to live like fucking kings or some shit like that. It's insane. In, in modern times, because that's all the we just replace kings and queens and shit like that of Europe with billionaires. And then we have regular ass people who make like fucking thirty thousand dollars a year who like Elon Musk is my hero. Or or even some guy who makes like three hundred thousand dollars a year who might be an attorney and a conservative and like Elon Musk is my hero, and if I work hard enough, one day I'll be fucking like him. If I do, what the fuck? You're, you're both of you motherfuckers. Whether you got thirty thousand or three hundred thousand dollars, if you get fucking hit by a car and you can't walk again, and you have to get on fucking social security 
or SSI, you're going to be fucking in the poorhouse. Especially if you don't have any friends or family to look out for you. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's how, that's how the system is. If people think that they're in. I mean, don't you remember on, on Twitter a while back, like a couple of years ago, people were acting like people who make $100,000 a year were like the 1%. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I like they're they're better off than a lot of people, a lot of fucking people, globally, really. But even with a hundred thousand dollars, you're closer to fucking being poor, a, a homeless person, than you are closer to fucking Elon. Musk. Especially if you work for that hundred thousand dollars, it's not like you just get this, you know, has an allowance because you're you have rich ass family or some shit like this. This is just like I go to work, and I sell my labor. Yeah, you're the proletariat. If you're selling your labor for income. You're part of the proletariat. Even, exactly. if you, even if you make a million dollars, if you have to work for it, you're not part of the ruling class at exactly, all. Exactly, exactly. Except for the, the cops. They are the right hand of the oppression. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they sell out all the fucking time of their class interests. But, you know, <laughs> the the elites love them because they protect their private gated communities from the hordes of the poor when, they, when the revolution comes to burn it down. So... <laughs> But uh, yeah, we're we're approaching two hours, which is actually a little longer than our regular episodes. But um, we have a lot more. You know, there's so many great songs with great lyrics. We could do this all day, all night. Um, so uh, please remember to follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Q Culture Q U E Culture. Um, let us know, especially for this, uh, and this goes for all episodes. Let us know if you liked it, something that you didn't like. Um, we love to engage with our listeners for this episode specifically. If you liked this. Um, you know, let us know we could do it. You know, we like to do a, take a break from all the doom and gloom stuff and do kind of a fun episode every once in a while. So if you liked it, we can definitely do it in the future. Um, if you didn't like it and thought it was stupid and you'd rather, you know, learn stuff about the world and question the system, let us know that too. Our ego can take it. We don't, you know, we don't mind if you didn't like the episode. Um, but, um, also I just did want to sincerely thank all our listeners, um, it seems like, you know, uh, we're actually really starting to pick up steam with the podcast. Um, we we d- distribute it through Anchor, and they're owned by Spotify. Um, so we get a wrapped uh, detail list about, you know, our stats and stuff from the year. And we damn near doubled our audience this year. Um, so it's really exciting. And I'm, you know, just hearing more people reaching out and talking about the podcast. So I love to hear, love to hear from all our listeners. We have a lot of fun episodes planned for next year. It looks like we're going to have some more guests. Um, so I'm super looking forward to it. And I just wanted to genuinely thank all our listeners. Um, I would have never imagined, I mean, we're doing a podcast about all the problems with the world and like, you know, bitching about conditions and talking about, you know, (laughs) deep things. So, I, I'm honestly shocked that, you know, I fully expected us to have two listeners put out five episodes and then stop. So the fact that we got this awesome little community of people talking about, you know, problems with the world and trying to find solutions. Um, it's really fucking awesome. I love it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. We, we appreciate all our listeners. Um, so, we, you know, we want to wish you all happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate um, or, you know, just take hopefully you get some time with friends and family. Um and even with all the bullshit going on in the world, um, the most important things are our friends, family, those people who love you. Um, material things can come and go, but you know, friends and family and those who love you um, can never. So, you know, feed your soul as the, as the year comes to an end, and and, and definitely um, understand that that you know there's a lot of bullshit in the world, but um, there's a lot of good things to um, to be thankful and grateful for. 
well said. The reason we question the system are fighting for a better world because there's a lot of amazing things about the world, and that's our interaction with each other, our social nature. Um, so well said, Lornette. I mean, you know, friends, family, that's the reason we fight. So, yeah, definitely I hope people get some time off work and can spend time with loved ones. So happy holidays, everyone. Thanks again for listening, and remember to question everything. Everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.